Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. So hi, everyone. We are so excited to have some of our panelists back again to do um, our experiences with methotrexate part two. So we're going to start by just having everyone introduce themselves. Uh, Paulina, would you like to go first? Yes, of course. Um, so hi, I'm Paulina, originally from Poland. I grew up in the UK and I'm currently living in Germany. Um, I am 24. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in 2014 when I was 18 and it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> yes, yes. And you are a yoga teacher extraordinaire. Uh, that's true. I'm a yoga teacher um, focusing on the healing part of yoga for our community as well as everyone else because everyone needs a little bit of healing in their life. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. How about Ananthi next? Hi everyone, I'm Ananthi, I'm 35 and I'm living in the UK. Um, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis last year, so um, fairly new-ish. Um, yep, yeah, I've 
got plenty to talk about with the methotrexate. So um, I've had an up and down journey with it. So looking forward to sharing that with yourselves. Thank you so much. And Joe. Hi, I'm Joe. Uh, I'm originally from Romania, but have been living in the UK for the past five years now. Um, I have been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 19. So that was four years ago and have been on methotrexate for three years. And like everyone else in this room, I have plenty of things, plenty of things to say about methotrexate. So I'm excited to share my journey with you today. Thank you so much. And I am Cheryl Crow, the host of the Arthritis Podcast. You might've heard my voice before, but, um, and I uh, uh, just turned 40 and I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 21. And I've been on methotrexate almost the entire time, except for my pregnancy and a couple years postpartum when we weren't sure if we were going to we were planning on trying for another baby. So we stayed off of methotrexate for a little while, but for the rest of the time I've been on it. So, um, that's my, in a nutshell version. So, um, last time we shared our experiences with methotrexate overall, and that was in the summer of 2020. And while we're recording this now, it's the fall of 2021 in the Northern hemisphere. <laughs> so it's uh, October, 2021. So, um, Paulina, why don't we go first with you? Do, would you like to share anything that's changed about your journey or actually maybe summarize your, pre, your journey with methotrexate and then share anything new? Does that sound good? Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so a little summary up until 2020 when we did the first part of this talk, I was put on methotrexate in 2014 when I was first diagnosed, I only stayed on it for six months and I was put on the oral, so on the pills. Um, the reason why I only stayed for six months, and once again, this is a very quick snapshot to not keep this another two hours. Um, I was only on it for six months because I did something I really, really don't recommend anyone doing. And I just stopped taking the medication because I didn't want to take it anymore. I was very convinced that everything I was doing is going to keep me super amazing and well forever. So I stopped taking methotrexate after six months of taking it. Luckily for me, and I honestly think it was pure luck and a little bit of extra work from my side. For two years, I was in remission. And in my terms, remission is still having some pain but it not impacting my day-to-day -day life to a level where I felt that I needed to take medication because I know that everyone has a different understanding of what remission is. So that's what remission was for me. And then two years after that, I moved to Germany and during my move, new climate, new people, new responsibilities, a lot of new stress, I think that sort of kick-started my condition again. And 2017, was it? Yeah. I My condition came back full force, double the force than the first time. So I was put on methotrexate straight away again on, I think it was 25 milligrams again. So the really high dose, or at least for me, that was the highest I've been. Um, and I'm, on this time, Germany does it that they put you on injections straight away rather than the pills. So I was on it. I have been on it up until 20. Well, let's say I've been on it. Um, 
last time we spoke, I was, I think I mentioned that I might have to start a new medication because my body seemed to not be responding to methotrexate as well as I wanted it to. Um, and that's basically what happened. So now a new update <laughs> after 2020, after our first chat in October last year. So funnily enough, exactly a year ago, I was put on a biological. I was put on Chimsia and I have been on it ever since. I am still on it now. I also kept my methotrexate. Um, my doctor said that she doesn't want to increase my dosage of methotrexate because I managed to go down to 7.5 milligrams. But because I was on it for three years and she said, well, the stuff that I'm experiencing, maybe it's good to try something different. So that's what we did. Um, and the biologic worked wonders for me. It actually shifted my current flare that I was having in that moment in October last year, pretty much in a few days, which was incredible. My elbow flare just disappeared. Um, and now let's say two months ago, so this is the crazy roller coaster that we're on with Paulina here. Two months ago, I was having a telephone um, appointment with my doctor because of all of the travels and everything happening in the world. I wasn't able to go see her in person. So I had a telephone in, um, conversation with her. Whew. And um, I basically suggested, because I was feeling really well at that time, I suggested to her that we stop methotrexate just to see how I feel. I was on a low dose, so I could just come off of it. Um, and I'm very happy that I've got a very good relationship with my doctor. We trust each other. So when she hears from me that I want to give something a go, she knows and trusts me that that's sort of my decision and I'm not going to take anything else for an answer. Um, so I, we agreed and I took off methotrexate. I haven't been on it for like eight months, eight weeks now. However, hi girls. <laughs> However, I think I'm going to have to say hello to methotrexate again very soon. <laughs> so eight, eight weeks have been wonderful to only have to inject myself once every two weeks. Um, however, the past couple of weeks, I've had my usual introductory flare-ups with my fingers, swelling, um, itchiness, because that's a random one I get. I get very itchy in the joints before they get before I get a flare. Um, now I'm not very bad just yet. So I'm waiting a few more weeks because I am keeping my fingers crossed that it's not because I'm not taking methotrexate, but it's because we're having a season change and my body hates season changes. So let's wait a couple more weeks and in two weeks time, I'll make the decision if I will go back on methotrexate, maybe go on it once every two weeks rather than every week um, and see how my body does then. But that's a short slash long slash weird roller coaster update of the first part to now. <laughs> yeah. And well, and I think for those listening who might have been, you know, recently diagnosed, 
with other conditions, sometimes you think, okay, there's this, there's one treatment, you know, like you have an ear infection and maybe you take antibiotics, you know, but for rheumatoid arthritis, it's actually very normal or common to have to play kind of, um, what's the analogy? I want to say ping pong, but that's not really it. Like where you, you know, you're con- yeah, roulette. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit like that, where you're having to kind of try this and be up the dose of one to reduce. So yeah, being, being able to be flexible with that, you know, mentally has, is important. Was it hard? Is it hard for you to cope? Uh, Paulina, I'm curious with some of the, the, those ups and downs or the unknowns, like, is this, if I go off of it, is it going to work or, you know, how, how, yeah. Yeah. So a hundred percent. I mean, you know, me and most of you here on the screen know me and maybe the listeners also, maybe not, I tend to stick to the good side or the more positive side, the like realistic side. But yes, I'm a human. I have emotions and every single change is not pleasant. Going back to this time last year, when I knew for a good few months that new medication is probably something that I'll have to start. But the moment I went to my doctor and she said, yeah, okay, this is your prescription for the new medication. It, it was insane. Like my body, my heart started uh, beating super fast. My hands started shaking. I knew this is good for me in a way, right? This is what I needed at that time. Um, but then straight afterwards, I, I just went into the waiting room to have my blood tests done like I always do after seeing my doctor. And I just cried because it's not easy to, to be like, yeah, I actually need this. I, I needed that extra medication. Um, and then two months ago, roughly, let's say two, three months ago, when I stopped my methotrexate, right, this is a good time. You get to take off a medication. You get to only prick yourself once every two weeks and only go through the oh, stingy, ouchy sort of plaster moment every two weeks and not every week. Um, so that was a very good, happy moment. However, I've been having rheumatoid arthritis for a while now. So I also, at the back of my mind, was aware that, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm coming off of this medication. I'm going to enjoy this happy moment. But yes, I'm also aware and realistic that it might not last. It might not work out. It might be different. And now having these flares the last couple of weeks, um, I think it was like two days with my period coming and all the hormones and all that beautiful jazz when my my flare-ups get worse as well during my period it was like just sad just like why Mm. I could be doing well this is you know I it's sort of like an internal fight like one side of me is saying you don't need this this is just a season change this is just your period and then aside another side of me is like okay, but I don't want to push it because I don't want to get like really bad and then have to slowly get back being better again. So it's trying to keep that balanced all the time. Um, it's hard emotionally, physically, just to juggle all of that all the time. So. Yeah, it really is a, a roller coaster. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for elaborating on that. Cause I do, I know that there's people listening right now who feel less alone. They feel like, oh, it's, everyone else has an easier time than I do, but it, it really is. It is a challenging for everyone. So thank you. I want to um, hand the mic over to Ananthi about, and would you like to share a little bit 
of your synopsis of your experiences with methotrexate and anything that's changed since uh, the mm -hmm. summer of 2020? Sure. So when we last spoke, I had literally been on methotrexate for about two weeks, I think. So, um, yeah, um, it was because I got diagnosed in the pandemic. So in a nutshell, there was a bit of a delay with me being seen. So I had my blood test, which um, showed a very obviously high rheumatoid factor, um, got sent straight to the specialist at the hospital. But unfortunately, that hospital appointment got cancelled. So that was back in April 2020. So we're talking height of COVID here. Um, so I was kind of left to my own devices for like two, three months. So I eventually got seen end of June. And my rheumatologist put me straight on methotrexate and a course of steroids as well. So I kind of had the two hand in hand. So in most cases, um, the steroids are a temporary fix. Um, obviously, some people do need it for longer and that's OK as well. Um, but in my case, I was only on them for the six weeks with like a tapering dose gradually. And I was left with methotrexate. So I was on 15 milligrams for, um, in tablet form. So um, taking that on a fortnightly basis. So I was just getting used to that. And because uh, when you, uh, well, in UK at least, uh, when you first start methotrexate, they make you go for fortnightly blood tests initially. Um, so it's every two weeks um, and then it goes into monthly and then it can get more and more spread out. So I finished my fortnightly blood tests and then I went into monthly and my inflammation markers were going down, down, down. So that was lovely to see. Um, however, liver enzyme was going up, up, up. So I was kind of watching that. So I think, um, so if I remember rightly, um, there was like the range that I was given, don't ask for the units, but it was between one and 34 was a good range. So I think the first time I flagged it, it was 37. And the GP was like, yeah, okay, it's some um, old oh, GPs like primary doctor for the, the other countries. Um, but yes, yeah, so um, yeah, so at 37, so they just said, I'll just see the next time. The next time round, I think it went up to 50 something. So at that point I rang the hospital helpline. I said, listen, I'm, I'm a bit concerned. It's, um, it's going up. Um, to in the 50s and they said to me a very interesting thing of um, so for most people yes we look at 1 to 34 however you're on methotrexate and you're on it for rheumatoid arthritis therefore we'll only get alarmed when it goes above 70 so I was in my head I was thinking really is, is, is that normal <laughs> but anyway I, I kind of gave it another month and then lo and behold it was it w flew up to 80. So this had taken me up to um, like the end of December, end of December, 2020. So at that point I called the helpline. Uh, they categorically said, yes, we have a problem. So they told me to come off methotrexate completely for two, four weeks and have a blood test to check what my liver was doing then. Um, and at that point, depending on those results, will they decide what to do with the medication? So um, also at this point, they were asking me whether I had been drinking or anything like that. And at that point, I was actually really, really good. I was, even though it was Christmas, I may have overdone it with the chocolate a bit, but I didn't touch any alcohol because I was terrified of um, the alcohol and methotrexate relationship. And especially with my liver doing what it was doing, I wasn't going to go there. So anyway, I came off methotrexate for two weeks, 
did the blood test and my liver dropped back into the 20s. So from 80 into the 20s, that kind of shows the effect that it was having at the time. So um, the guys at the hospital, they were very nice. So they dropped the dosage from 15 milligrams to 10. So I was kind of excited. I thought, wow, this is kind of a, a universe given opportunity to reduce the dose. Can I do this? So I was then in my head, I was like fixated on managing with this dose from now on. And to be fair, I did. So I saw my um, rheumatologist again in April. So by that point, a few tweaky pains were coming. Um, I was battling with myself of, um, should I put up with this pain and stick with 10? Or should I, because I know how I felt at 15 and that was as close to zero pain as possible. So I was thinking with 10, do I hand, handle a bit more pain and um, stick with the 10 or what do I do? So my rheumatologist, he, he just gave me a lot of options. He said, it's totally up to me what I choose to do. Um, he said, I can up my dose or I can combine it with another drug or um, see how it goes. He did say to me that with methotrexate, and I don't know whether anyone else has noticed this, but to give it like a good 12 weeks before you make a decision, because um, methotrexate effects aren't instant, whether you're coming up, whether you're going down, you need to wait it out to see until it stabilizes to see what it's truly doing to you and how you feel with it. That's what he said to me. So um, at this point, it was around the 12 week mark. Um, so I think I gave it about another three, four weeks. And then I just decided, I don't think this pain is, number one, it, it's, I probably could put up, put up with it, but my underlying fear was, would me putting up with that pain uh, cause underlying damage? And I did not want, did not want that at all. So um, I, instead of going up to 15, which I knew was having an effect on my liver, I've since upped it. So in June, maybe July, June or July, I upped it to 12.5. So I've gone in between. So again, that took a, a bit of um, self battle, I would say to accept that I was going back up, but also I recognized that I needed it. Um, it's very much a trial and error game or roulette as we call it. Um, you gotta do what, what you need and, and your body will tell you. So you, you basically have to trust that. So um, yeah, so 12.5, I'm back on the monthly, monthly bloods. Um, there was, I did notice a slight upward trend, but my last blood test showed it going back down again. So I'm hoping this is my sweet spot where both liver and joints are happy, but um, it's not been long enough. So we will see, but so far it's okay on 12.5. That's so great. And it really is fascinating how certain things it's like, if you go over a threshold, then all of a sudden the numbers get higher in proportion, you know, like you wouldn't, you, the difference between 12.5 and 15 for your liver is a lot bigger than just that little amount. Does that make sense? Paulina, did you want to add, or are you, I have a question actually. Yes. Yes. Um, did you, because I, rem I, I heard you saying that you were like monitoring your blood markers for your liver. Um, did you have to monitor it going up or was it the doctors monitoring it and letting you know, or did you have to like keep your, I mean, I think, you know what I'm trying to say. I, I know what you mean. So um, 
so no, it was me. So I'm a bit of a um, I'm a bit of a results nerd. I like to trend my results. So um, that's where the Excel spreadsheets come in. So I do funky graphs. But actually, since then, my um, doctors have now got an app, and the graphs are on there for me. So yay! But um, yeah, it's a, at that time I was very much trending my data because I wanted to see for myself um, what was what was going on. Because also when um, I reduced from 15 to 10, I noticed my inflammation markers were rising. They weren't anywhere close to what they were originally, not even close, but they were high for me. So again, I wasn't too happy with it showing up in my blood work as well, even though I could quite happily say I can cope with the pain. If it's showing up in your blood work, then um, I didn't want to argue with those kind of results. Yeah. Paulina, we're on the same wavelength. I had the same question. Um, and I think at least in the United States, I know that if any of my blood work is out of the normal range, it does get flagged to my rheumatologist and they're supposed to follow up. Um, but I'm not sure if it's that the way that's just my doctor, it could be different, different facilities, but you would hope that they would, someone would be monitoring that, that it would get flagged in quote unquote, the system. Cause not all patients have the same health literacy that you do. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. So with the, with your family doctor, like the GP in the UK, um, what I found is that they will, they will contact you or they will say that the result is of concern or whatever. And then there was, and you get an, kind of an automatic text message as it were to say, Oh, please call and make an appointment. You make that appointment. And then they tell you anyway, um, it's best to speak to your rheumatologist. Um, and they're separate, they're in the hospital. So my particular hospital has a rheumatology helpline and it's run by the nurses. So what um, I just, I skip my doctor and I go straight to the helpline um, because they, 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 you, it's quicker basically. Um, and also if, if they don't know the answers themselves, the nurses will just check with your doctor and get back to you. And I, I find that quite, um, it's an unmanned phone line as well. You just leave a message and they'll get back to you within 24 hours. So um, that's really helpful. That's, that's so great. And can you remind the audience your, um, what do we call it? Uh, intellectual background or academic background? <laughs> yes. Uh, so I am, I am a biologist, which is probably explains why I geek out on um, stats and well, not stats. I hate stats, but just graphs and blood results. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm my own um, kind of study subject, I guess. So <laughs> No. And that's a great way to, to long-term, um, you know, be what I call like the CEO of your care team. Like you are the nucleus of your care team and you're the one that's going to be living with the implications of all your decisions. So the more empowered you can be, the, the better. Now, I see Paulina is ready to share too. Yeah. Anything, please. This is like an open conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually just wanted to sort of repeat what you literally just said, but in a good and a bad way, it's like fortunate and unfortunate that we sort of have to become our own doctors in a way or our own like care team. Um, because yeah, no matter which country you're living in or what sort of relationship you have with your doctor or the system in that country, it's still us, like your own health that really is in the line. And there's one of you and one of what you're looking at, whereas the doctors have like loads of patients to look after. So it's also 
in a way understandable if they miss stuff or if they are not on top of it as maybe we would want them to be which is unfortunate but then also fortunate because I feel that when we spend time and I do the same I have no biology background whatsoever or like medical background however I stay on top of my blood results all the time um, because it's also empowering I feel like it builds up my confidence and it built up my confidence about my condition and how I can help myself rather than having that feeling of relying on a doctor to tell me where I'm at or how I'm feeling or what to do next. I feel like understanding at least the key blood results, the key markers that like the, the, the inflammation markers, the liver markers, I feel like at least understanding those helps me feel a lot more confident and it's sort of like a like a yeah I know what I'm doing when it comes to health condition management in a way totally and we always get to this topic of you know if I ruled the world (laughs) but if I did really there would be like a very rigorous you know maybe multiple weeks um you know weekly check-ins with different providers when you first get diagnosed to like ramp you up. Like I could literally call it like arthritis school or something like that, you know, because like, I'll say, I always give this example, but when I got diagnosed with gestational diabetes, um, I was given an immediate appointment with diabetes educators. They trained me. What are your insulin numbers mean? What can you do? La la la. And it was like, so helpful, but I never got anything like that with rheumatoid arthritis, which is for me, been it's been a lot more complex to manage. So yes, Ananthi. Yeah, I was, I was just going to add on that um, because rheumatoid arthritis is, it's not one of those that um, it's not like a tech, it's not a condition with textbook symptoms in the sense that everyone experiences it differently. So I think in that um, it's very important to communicate what you're feeling, how you're feeling to your doctor, because they can't assume that everyone is the same and they don't because they because they know. So I think it is very important that you do advocate for yourselves. And just because one dose of a medication is working for one person, it may not work for you. So I think it's important to have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you will, you know, uh, become what they call a lot of doctors and health people will say the patients are the expert in their own care or their own experience of, of their care. And so there's all these models now, like, you know, shared decision-making as a best practice in rheumatology, meaning the decisions are made, not just by the doctor as the voice of God telling you, you must do 12 milligrams or you must do 10 milligrams. It's a, it's a conversation back and forth. Um, between the providers or the health, you know, health professionals and the, and the patients. So, yeah, this is so great. Any other questions for Ananthi before we move on to Joe? I, pre- I appreciate all the uh, objective data that you're able to, to track. And um, yeah, I think if, if nothing else, those listening, you know, this is a good reminder to always check your own blood work as well and make sure you get on things right, right away. So how about you, Joe? How, oh, sorry. Sorry. We're going to add more. Yeah. Because what you've just said, like check your own blood work. And in addition to that, so check your own blood work and take it as an empowering activity mm-hmm. rather than a, oh, I need to check my blood work because my doctor doesn't do nothing. So take it like I'm taking control and it feels amazing to take control of myself. So I'm going to check my own blood work because I'm a doctor now. 
Yeah, no, that's so true. It's being this quote unquote CEO of your care team. I always say it's a blessing and a curse, right? Cause sometimes we don't have the mental spoons. We're like, I don't want to think about this anymore. I don't want to learn anymore about my condition. I just want someone to tell me what to do. You know, that's how I felt after my son was born. I was like, I don't want to, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. You know, someone just tell me what to do. But other times, you know, we have that capacity to say like, I have, I want to be empowered. I want to make these decisions. So yeah, context matters too. <laughs> but how about Joe? How has your experience been since July, 2020 with methotrexate? Um, I think post July, 2020, up until now, everything personal, professional, health related has been a roller coaster. So at this point in time, it's quite difficult for me to say that how my health has been for the past year has either been because my medication isn't necessarily working anymore or because of the stress that has popped up in different few times over the past few months. Um, So pre-July 2020, I had been on methotrexate for two years yes two years because I only started taking it a year after I was diagnosed which is something that I still regret doing and not taking it as soon as my doctor told me to um excuse me um so I was diagnosed back home in Romania um during a university holiday so I was still living with my I was still living with my parents and my mom is a huge advocate of, um, she's not a fan of Western medicine, let's put it like that. And she had a massive influence on me not deciding to take the methotrexate as soon as it was given to me. Um, and, you know, I was 19 at the time. I thought it's me against the world. I'm, I'm not going to take methotrexate. I'm just going to, this was my mentality three years ago I'm just gonna um, take steroids for the rest of my life and manage my condition like that but sooner I realized that that's not possible I can't be on steroids for the rest of my life because the side effects are not pleasant and yes they help with the pain but it's just a temporary solution it's not long term it's not sustainable and one year I decided to spend the next university summer holiday in the UK because I found a job and that's when I decided to see a rheumatologist here and decided to take on the methotrexate and when the options were put in front of me either pills or the injections I was so scared of needles like the thought of injecting myself weekly was it was terrifying to me Um, so I decided to stick with the pills but the, the side effects I was getting from the pills, I was bed bound the next day. The nausea, the headaches, the migraines were just, I, I couldn't literally not do anything. It was literally like my week was six days instead of seven, which when you're a university student doesn't help your academic or your social life. Um, and I took this to my doctor and they did recommend me going on the injection. And as you guys have mentioned, it's these changes that sort of make you break down a bit and scare you. And I think the first injection I took, 
I was with the nurse because the first here in the UK, the first two or three injections, someone is supervising you to make sure you're okay and you're able to do this on your own. And it took me, I think, between 30 minutes and an hour to do that first injection. Uh, <laughs> and I think the adrenaline was so high that I actually didn't feel anything. Um, so that was that was great. And then the second one only took me about 20 minutes, which was an improvement from the first time. And then I stuck with the injections, which at that time, I think I was on 20 milligrams, didn't really give me a side effect, a side effects. Um, they were like minimal. Um, but yeah, so this was pre-summer 2020. I was doing fine. But since then, I have I've graduated from my master's, which is a huge achievement. But after that came the downfall because I struggled with unemployment. And trust me, trying to find a job <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic is not ideal. I would not recommend. Um, but yeah, it was the 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 truth of adulthood and I had to find a job. And um what else happened? I I moved houses in the in the past year. I had lost friends in the past year. So like I said, it, it's hard for me to to say if I personally feel like my health has been decreasing over the past year. So I don't know if it's because my medicines aren't working anymore, or if it's because of this constant stress that I feel like I've been under for the past year or so. Um, I have, um, like Anantti said, it's quite difficult to, to, see your, to see your doctor these days. Um, so I think in the past two years or so, I've only seen mine a couple of times. Um, and I did tell them, that I don't feel like my medication is working anymore. And for, for a while, I also thought that my joints were hurting more because I had gained weight, but I managed to, lo to lose that weight and I still felt not very great. Um, so yeah, I went to see my doctor. I was really hopeful they'd put me on biologics because I did call the helpline, um, my hospital's helpline, which which as a result of that, I managed to get my appointment. And they did say, we could put you on this biologic, which for me was a quite exciting prospect, seeing that I didn't feel like my methotrexate was working anymore. And at that appointment, I literally broke down because I felt like nothing that I was telling my doctor was coming across, which is quite difficult because I, I think I know a couple of pages of notes just to sort of prove that I have been feeling worse and here are the facts. Um, and they do this thing when I think they measure your disease activity. And one thing that I've noticed after the, over the past year or so has been increased pain and inflammation in my feet, which unfortunately is not included in that disease activity assessment. So, from their point of view, there was no reason for me to be put on biologics. <laughs> um, um, so Paulina just asked, what is the assessment? Uh, basically, they feel all of your joints. And first of all, they see if they feel like swollen or tender. 
and they also ask you if it's hurtful or painful. And at that point, which is also, I think, a bit, it's not really accurate because if you're if you if it's a good day and you go to the hospital and it doesn't hurt then yeah I think it's the um I think I'm guessing it's the DAS 28 which is yeah. the measure That's of the disease activity and rheumatoid arthritis and yeah and I've chatted about this with my rheumatologist it's you know it's hard because you're if there's any tenderness at all you're supposed to say you know yes but it doesn't differentiate between mild moderate severe and then what is that tenderness and what is that pain preventing you from doing in your life I mean, at the end of the day the reason to control these diseases is so that we can actually function in our lives and if regardless of what these scales say if you can't function in your life that's a problem you know This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. Yeah, I was um, just, I'm so sorry, Joe. I I feel feel you, but I, I don't understand I don't understand how the feet aren't included in that score because if you if you think about it your hands and your feet have the most bones in your body so you've got the most joints so what's our age joint pain right so yeah I just wanted to voice my frustration for you Joe. that was what that was for yeah it's swollen joints out of the 28 quote unquote the 28 the 28 joints that are examined in this assessment and, you know, RA, yeah, like Ananthi says, it affects the joints, this particularly that have synovial fluid in them. And the, the synovial fluid is in the joints that move the most. And so your little toes that are flexible, yeah, are included in that. Yeah, yeah Paulina? Uh, so I think I mentioned it in our part one as well um, about this whole assessment jazz. I think maybe... I'm coming from this side because I have a comparison of how I was treated and looked after in the UK versus how it is now in Germany for me. And in the UK, I remember now, now that you mentioned this like feeling of the joints, oh my goodness, I would laugh in their faces. When I was first diagnosed, I was not this person. (laughs) I was someone very different. I would just laugh in their faces when they did that. And that stick man that you have to circle the joints that are hurting you right now. Oh, so I think I mentioned that in the part one, but in Germany, they do a similar assessment when you go into the doctor's office and you're seeing your doctor. However, before you go in, even when I go in just for a blood test, I always have to fill in out, fill out a form. And the form is the assessment that I believe is the one that we should be getting. So it has, I think, 32 questions and each Um, question has three potential responses so the responses are yes yes but with pain or no not at all and the questions are can you take a shower can you write a letter can you run a hundred meters for the bus can you stand in line for 30 minutes without seating like without having a seat so I feel like these ones are 
a much better representation because yeah like you like you just said joe you go into the the doctor and that day you're having an amazing day because obviously the joints are scared of the doctor so they go away and they're feeling amazing so on that day you're feeling super fab but then yesterday and the, the week before it was completely different whereas i feel if you have these more like questions relating to real life not just your physical body and how it's showing that for me when I first got that assessment I was like wow like now the doctor can truly understand what happens in our life and it makes me feel like I'm understood a lot more that it's not just a joint condition because that's just like the smallest part of living with rheumatoid arthritis is worrying about our joints it's actually the day-to-day stuff that we are dealing with and to have these questions at a doctor's office, just like put them on such a good note for me. So summing it all up, I am just disgusted by the system about this whole joint stick man circles. Literally, let's laugh in their faces, protest and do everything. But it's OK. This is just me going OTT a little bit. <laughs> no, well, and I love I mean. It's so funny. Cause I, I always say when I became an occupational therapist, I actually didn't do it for, with arthritis in mind. I wanted to help children with developmental disabilities. And I learned so much that helps with arthritis in occupational therapy school. And one of the things that we do, and I'm, I'm always like thinking through the occupational therapist lens is like, we look at how does your condition affect your ability to function in your individual life context? It's going to look different. Like somebody who has 20 swollen joints out of 28, who's a truck driver and has three kids is going to be different than somebody who is a video game streamer. I'm thinking of like the most random jobs, but, or a teacher or, you know, um, a grandparent. I mean, there's so your life context interacts with your physical state. So it's so bizarre to me whenever people only look at the physical um, objective measures because that just doesn't tell the story at all. Anyway, so soapbox, but back to Joe, sorry. <laughs> you was like, your story made us just really get on our soapboxes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you should, you know, I'm so sorry. So you, so we left off in your chronological story that you were having severely increased, not just pain and inflammation, but just difficulty functioning in daily life. And your yeah. doctors were like, let me just touch these, these joints and count how many are tender and make this. And yeah. then, so then what happened? Um, so I literally just broke down because it seemed like all of those notes that I emotionally had to like find, find the power to write all of those things that had happened to me over the past year and me telling them to this person that I haven't seen before. I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if Ananti can relate, but I don't think I've seen the same rheumatologist twice. Um, so is it just a different random person seeing me every time I go in? Which is another thing about the system that sort of bothers me, but um, that's that's another discussion. Uh, but basically, it and I was telling her, look, I came here today because over the phone, you told me that there's this possibility of you putting me on biologics. And then she said, because of your disease activity score is not high enough, we, we don't think we should put you on biologics, but we can increase, I'm also on sulfasalazine by the way, but we can increase your sulfasalazine back, 
which I was on a higher dose of sofasazine before, but it wasn't compatible with me. And it just seemed crazy to me that they suggested something that I was previously on that didn't work. But anyway, um, later on, she she came back with her supervisor, which uh, which is um, because they'd have to discuss the, their plan for you with a consultant doctor or whatever. And that person came in the room, the consultant, which is a doctor that I'd seen before. So it, I was very relieved to see a familiar face. And she explained to me very nicely and in a way that made sense to me why I'm not being put on biologics and why things are the way they are. And she's basically told me that because um, because you said that painkillers don't work and anti-inflammatories don't work, we feel like there's not enough inflammation in your body. So giving you biologics or something stronger would actually have worse side effects and they would help you because of this low level of inflammation. So um, they've given me amitriptyline, which I think is, um, is a... I think it's usually used to treat depression, but at, at some level it overlaps and it helps, it helps with pain. And, and I was really, have, I was having trouble with sleeping as well. And that also helped me sleep better. So it was a, it was a very interesting appointment that I had, but, and I'm not really sure that I am, I'm happy with the outcome, but at least I'm moving forward with the treatment that they've given me and just just see how I go and if if things go better then yay me that if not then I, I feel like I can't live like this for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah I'm I'm sorry yeah I guess uh, it's hard to follow and I don't want to speculate too much on you know like we're not obviously doctors and, you know, so, um, you know, that they gave the best recommendation that they, they felt at the time, but yeah, the, a lot of it is just saying, okay, you know, what are the baby steps I can make today? Like you're saying, okay, can I take this measure and is it, is it improving my sleep quality? That's good because better sleep is correlated to better, you know, less fatigue and less inflammation and less pain. So, you know, and then maybe long-term they, you'll, they'll cycle back and say, okay, yeah, now you're, you know, now we think biologics might work for you. So it's hard when you enter into an appointment with like an expectation, like, I think we're going to make X change. And then that it gets kind of, um, derailed. It can be a very kind of powerless feeling because you ultimately, like, you can't just go to the store and get a biologic if you want one, right. You have, you have to have the doctor's recommendations. So, um, I'm, I'm going to pause for just one second. Well, th thank you, Joe, so much for sharing that. I think that and a lot of people, again, are going to resonate with the, you know, crying in the doctor's office. I mean, maybe we can have a club or like a sticker that you get, like I've cried in the doctor's office, you know? Um, so, yeah, it is. I've also cried in the bathroom, in the waiting room, <laughs> you got to hold it together till afterwards and then cry. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm smiling now, but yeah, it's just to say that, you know, is it's totally common. It's very, it can be very overwhelming, but I'm glad that the new medication they gave you 
is helping with sleep because yeah, sleep is such a good foundation for everything. So just, um, to wrap it up with, with you three, I would love to just give you each a chance to share anything else you want to share with the audience, you know, about wisdom. I know you are also wise, you know, wisdom for the audience on, you know, living and coping with rheumatoid arthritis and all these uh, ups and downs, or just anything, anything else you might want to say, this is your chance to go on your soapbox. (laughs) That's what I like to do. Would anyone like to go first? I'll go. All right. Um, So, okay. So I would probably say just because of the unpredictable nature of RA, um, I think we've all experienced the whole, we wake up each day and feel different. Um, So based on that, I would probably say an approach that I've taken in the last year is to take a day at a time I kind of have before I um before I kind of had especially when it comes to my job I kind of have a to-do list like for each day but now I can't bank on the fact that I'm going to be productive on a day so now I have I've spread that to-do list over a week and I've kind of split it into um kind of easier tasks and then hard, like the normal tasks. And so depending on how I feel on that day, I work through each part. So Wednesdays is my, um, I ho- hopefully no one from my job will see this because you will e- this will explain why I'm zero productive on a Wednesday. That's my methotrexate hangover day. So Wednesdays tends to be my life admin, kind of potter around, look busy, tidy the lab, um, just kind of, hide in the corner and hope no one speaks for me kind of day but it's my um that that's how I kind of get through um the working week I guess yeah just taking a day at a time um do what I can fake it Wednesday exactly Paulina <laughs> yes fake it till you make it until to, to your bed um, but yes it's um I would say that that's pretty good and also um I know we've got uh, the queen of yoga on this call as well but before I started RA well before I got RA I was a very avid gym goer I didn't believe exercise was a thing um, until I was breaking a sweat and dying on the floor this is not the case any movement is key um, it really does help even if it's a leisurely walk it's yoga it's stretching everything helps um, so yeah I would I'm a real advocate for movement and it doesn't have to be sweaty movement (laughs) so true I'm exactly same boat I used to be so hardcore and now I'm like you know if I dance for five minutes that's awesome you know that's getting my blood pumping and yeah I love it I love it thank you Ananthi and that tip about spreading your to-do list over the week is so so smart I literally made me feel the sense of relief just thinking of it that way. Cause then you avoid that kind of feeling where you're like, it's two o'clock in the day and you're looking at your to-do list and you're like, there's no way I can get through this, you know, the rest of this. And you can just say, oh, this is just my week to-do list. I have the rest of the week. So I love that. <laughs> Paulina, did you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, before I go into the actual tip, I wanted to share, I'd love to add on into this to-do list. So make a weekly to-do list, take off the stuff that you do, separate them into like hard, challenging, et cetera. But when you do something that's not on the list, add it into the list and tick it off. 
it feels so good, damn good to tick stuff off that it wasn't on there. Even like simple things like I've changed my bedding or like I've had a shower, add it to the to-do list, tick it off. Because at the end of the day or like at the end of the week, if it's like a whole weekly to-do list, you look at that list and you'll feel so proud of how many ticks you have on there just from the simple things of like, I got out of bed today, tick that. I, I changed my bedding, I brushed my teeth, tick it. It, it's, it feels good to just tick, tick stuff off. So sometimes just add stuff on there after you've done them, not before. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then my tip. So we've mentioned so many amazing ones throughout the whole podcast and in all of the other ones. And when you talk to us on social media or listen to the other amazing podcasts from Cheryl. There's so many tips on there. But there's one that I wanted to share that only became true to me probably in the past year or maybe more like six, seven months. Um, And I've only just realized it as a good thing before I wasn't ready for it. So I'm saying this tip and if it doesn't resonate with you, that's also completely fine because it didn't resonate with me until like six, seven months ago. And my tip is you are not just rheumatoid arthritis. Like there is so much more about you. There is so much more about your life, about who you are. And it's really easy to get hung up on just living a rheumatoid arthritis life, like eating the stuff, the medication, the blood tests, the doctors, the how am I feeling, the giving yourself what you need in that day because you have that condition. But really, we are so much more. And I think the tip that would link to what I'm trying to say is, is to find something that you love doing that has nothing to do with your condition because it overpowers our life especially in the beginning of our diagnosis or in any changes in our condition it takes over so much power of our life of our hobbies of our relationships even our relationship with ourselves that taking a moment to just be like yes I have rheumatoid arthritis but I am not rheumatoid arthritis I am you know I love doing this. I love doing that. I am this person. I'm that person. And trying to take a moment to connect to who you truly are on that deeper essence, on that deeper, yeah, that without using like yogi terms, these woo woo terms, without using all of these terms, but just trying to connect to your nature, like to your to your natural deeper nature, the state that you were at your most balanced, most healthy self without all of the other society things that were put on you, the responsibilities that were put on you, the health conditions that were put on you, the titles, the jobs, all of this. When you strip all of that apart, just trying to connect with who you are truly and doing more of the things that feed your soul would probably be my tip when you're ready for it. I wasn't ready for it until like six, seven months ago. So like I'm saying, it means a huge lot to me right now to acknowledge that there is so much more to me than, than, I mean, then just is a really incorrect term. I don't want to send then just rheumatoid arthritis, but 
but yeah, then just rheumatoid arthritis is just a part of who I am, but there is so much more and try to not lose touch with that. That's beautiful. I'm going to turn that into its own sound bite because that's so beautiful. And I think I'm just going to piggyback on that just really quick before um, moving on to Joe, because I think one of my little, one of my aha moments has been really saying, what's, what can I do now today in my current life? Not how do I become the perfect RA manager so that I can have this better future because of course we all want a a more pain-free future or less painful future. We want a happier future. It's just part of being humans. You know, we always want more, but instead of making your whole job about managing your RA perfectly or doing the perfect diet or the perfect, whatever saying, what can I do today? Can I connect to my core being and what, what brings me joy? Like Paulina said, it's so empowering it's such a relief to take away that burden to be the perfect patient. And so can you tell them I'm a recovering perfectionist? I hate the word perfect now. <laughs> like it's a bad word. So thank you. Ah, I'm so inspired. Okay. Joe, what would you say? <laughs> I feel like where I am right now with my arthritis journey, I don't feel like I'm in a position to give any tips. I think what I'm going to say is more like an indirect tip. Um, and also this is just a reminder that arthritis is not just joint pain and I wish I knew this when I first began and there are a lot of a lot of plates to spin so to say and also try not to compare yourself to all of these Instagram accounts that you're following Um, because this is something that I've been doing over the past year um, and it's it's not it's not it's not the best thing to do, especially when you feel a bit stuck. Um, and because arthritis, this it there's such huge umbrella, and we all and this starts from our different medication routes. I think you could pick, I don't know, 10, 15 people in a room, people with arthritis in the room, and they'll all be on different medication that have different stories and and that's okay and it's just important to just focus on focus on yourself and focus on your journey and do what makes you happy and feel accomplished despite of the pain I feel like I have let pain play a big part of the past year or so but I've I've met my current boyfriend which I'm very grateful for and he's just, he's, he's helped me see that life is more than just arthritis, like Paulina said. And I've just been doing all of this stuff that I would have said in the past, oh, I can't do this because I've got arthritis. Like I've just learned to ride a bike at 23, which if you told me like a year ago, I would have laughed in your face. Um, I'm taking driving lessons, which again, if you told me that a couple of years ago, I would have said, yeah, that's not happening. I've been going climbing and I think Paulina said it perfectly like you're you're more than just arthritis and you know it's it is it is sad that you know this is something that we have to live with but I feel like in a way I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't have come this far and enjoy life with all of this 
with all that's going on if it wasn't for arthritis, which is a very strange thing to say, I think. Um, but I feel like there, there is green, the grass is greener on the other side and there will be some tough times, but it, they definitely help. It, it definitely helps appreciate the good times even more. That's, that's beautiful. You said it that you didn't feel in a, in a place to be able to share wisdom, but that was very wise. I'm thinking here like, oh my gosh, she's only 23 and she's learned these lessons that I'm still learning at 40. So, you know, um, thank you all so, so much. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, you know, we, I, again, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who feel more supported and less alone through listening to your journeys. So thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, an online course that I created from scratch to help people live a full life with rheumatoid arthritis, from social and emotional aspects of coping with rheumatoid arthritis to simple physical strategies you can use every day to manage things like pain and fatigue. You can find out more on my website, myarthritislife.net, where I also have lots of free educational resources, videos, and more. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.